oh my good god you boy you boy fair play like you're clearly mustard at World of Warcraft but <laughs> we kept mugging him off to me because he was wearing camo he had a full camo outfit that he rode his bike on with a high vis on. It's like, mate, do you want to be seen or not? It's like, you're a, you are a walking paradox. Like, that makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. Anyway, he's got enough air time because he was an absolute chopper. Yeah, but um, I mean, when, when you're having that conversation with him, I was uh, simultaneously failing my first test. <laughs> kind of looked at me and they said the answer was was alcohol. So ladies and gentlemen, The Tempest 2. Tom Caulfield, James Whistle, The Tempest 2. This is the story of The Tempest 2. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to number five. Episode number five. We've got to the fifth episode, which I think is worth worth a shout in itself. Worth celebrating, absolutely. Well done us. Well done you if you made it to the fifth episode. Um, so far, we've covered the Atlantic Row. Last week's episode was kind of what we do now, what we did immediately following our row. Um, hopefully answered a few of the questions that we get regularly. And this episode is about arguably our scariest at points. Maybe not, actually. No, I wouldn't say so. No. Probably easiest. Yeah. The nicest. The nicest. The most enjoyable. Yeah. So We still moaned, but it was yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, but you've got to moan. Um, so this adventure was... We finished last episode talking about Mont Blanc, uh, and then we kind of finished it talking about the CBT test on the motorbike that we uh, decided to take. So we'll start from that position, I think. So James sent me a text saying, mate, do you want to do CBT tests for scooters? We took that, passed it, uh, and then kind of got the feel for motorbikes. And Well, I say got the feel. We essentially thought they looked really cool um, and wanted to be one of those, basically wanted to be like David Beckham. Um, which, in hindsight, was never going to happen. Nope. So we decided that we wanted to learn how to ride uh, proper motorbikes and then base an adventure around it. Uh, and that is what we're going to talk about today, is that adventure, how we made it happen, what the idea was, uh, and all of the hilarity that ensued. So it started <clears throat> after our CBT with a, I guess, a, a rapid-fire learning process of getting onto 600cc bikes. We decided that we wanted to learn as quickly as possible, so we did something called a direct access course, which means that the plan is you have four days or three days of learning, and then you do two tests um, in the following two days, and then, and then you're ready to ride a bike. And it is an incredibly steep learning curve. Uh, it's pretty scary, but uh, that, that was the way we wanted to do it. I think, a lot of people that learn to ride bikes will do a lesson a week and it can end up taking months and months and months and drag on. And we wanted to learn quickly and, and pass as soon as possible so we could do this adventure. So we found some place in Welland Garden City, I think. Why did we do it there? Not sure. I should blame you. That's local to you. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even that local. Welland, yeah. Welland Garden City. Shit up. Yeah, terrible place. Drive there. I mean, we were learning in January... Yeah. The worst weather. It was fucking it was freezing. Hideous. All the time. The bikes we were learning on were a little bag of shit. Yeah. The, the <laughs> naked Kawasaki. Our instructor 
What was his uh, name? Paolo Maldini. Paul. Paul. Right. Paul, if you're listening. Set the scene on Paul. Right, so Paul is, he's genuinely like a comedy sketch. I'm sure he's, he's a, he's a harmless bloke. But, so he's a motorbike instructor. He was the whiniest, most negative, just little regional weirdo. What are you doing, James? And basically, we'd have a we'd have a earpiece on under our helmets, and he'd have a walkie-talkie to basically say, turn left, turn right, stop here. And we'd be riding, and he'd be following us, and constantly in your ear, he'd be like, turn your indicator off, Tom. That's a minor, James. And, then, and we're in our helmets. There's no voice to him. And we're there like, you motherfucking piece of <laughs> shit, you fucking virgin asshole. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you're going too slowly, Jack. Honestly, this bloke was the most nosy guy I think I've ever met in my entire life. It's, it's hard to put across how irritating it is when you're obviously learning a new skill. You're trying not to fall or drop the bike. And there's this guy in your ear who he's giving you directions, but I think he felt the need to just talk the whole time anyway and just commentate on the smallest little things. And it was so whiny and so annoying. So every 30 seconds, it'd just be like, look in your mirrors. Like, that's a fail, Tom. It's just like, and I could just see t- Tommy just shouting at this bloke, just <laughs> swearing him down. And luckily the guy can't hear a thing that we're saying. But God, it was painful. And he, we, had, we ended up, see, so part of the test, you have to like do these small figure eights and basically the rubbish part of riding a motorbike, which is riding really slow and doing the maneuvers. And he just popped these cones down <laughs> and we were doing these little tight maneuvers and his commentary the whole time. It's, my blood was just boiling. Oh, That's what was keeping me warm in the freezing cold. He was, uh, yeah, one of the most negative and all people I've met. But he got. And he was. Yeah, uh, this probably what says the most about him is he was a what's that game called Warhammer. Oh, I walked in on him the night. He yeah. was. He was on the phone. Uh, he walked, James was out. I think doing your test. Yeah, you're doing your test. So we, we basically had three or four days with this bloke um, in the rain, just kind of all day riding, and then we took our test. The day after. So we're at the test centre, uh, basically go out one at a time into what is essentially a playground um, and do some manoeuvres. And whilst James was there, this guy's on the phone to his mate. He's like, all right, like, two-finger Freddy? <laughs> and he's like, mate, why do you... <laughs> I don't want to know why he's got that name. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. It's something to be gangster for like the 1920s. And he's like, mate, why didn't you call me last night? I would have helped you out. I was like, oh, maybe they've had like a bit of a rumble with some some neighbours or something. Basically, uh, works out that this guy's uh, part of a clan on World of Warcraft or yeah, something. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, oh, mate, I would have come in and dusted him, mate. <laughs> and, this, and it's just like, oh, my good God, you boy. You boy, fair play. Like, you clearly mustered at World of Warcraft. But and we kept mugging him after me because he was wearing camo. He had a full camo outfit that he rode his bike on with a high vis on. It's like, mate, do you want to be seen or not? It's like, you're a, you are a walking paradox. Like, that makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. Anyway, he's got enough airtime because he was an absolute chopper. Yeah, but um, I mean, when, when you're having that conversation with him, I was uh, simultaneously failing my first test. <laughs> so we had obviously put this pressure on ourselves to pass this as soon as possible. First hurdle, module one, which is the one, as you said, where you're in a playground, driving around cones, just kind of showing that you can handle the bike. Part of it is an emergency stop. Um, And I failed 
essentially for doing a, a skid. A sweet skid. Yeah. So I was just trying to show him so how cool I was. <laughs> Dropped the skid in there and he just came, walked straight over to me. He's like, right, head straight out there. And I knew I hadn't done the turn in the road and all those other so ones. So I'm finished, mate. He's like, no, no, you're done. He's like, oh, crushed it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, He's so, done a skid, he an immediate pass. <laughs> yeah, so I'd skidded, but bear in mind that it was like minus two outside. Hissing it down. Icy as you like. Um, yeah, skidded, so I got a fail straight away, which kind of hindered the plan, scuppered the plan slightly. I had to drive back solo mission the following day to take module one again, and luckily passed. Um, and then the day after that, I went back for our module two. So that just mounted the pressure. Up it, was, it was nerve-wracking, actually, because... Uh we still didn't really know, like we were still stalling the bike and doing all the manoeuvres was pretty touch and go. So luckily we passed. Uh, and to give you kind of an idea of why we were doing this. So our idea was to um, basically ride these motorbikes the day after we passed our test from London to the Sahara. And we had this idea and we were researching basically brands to work with for it. And we reached out to Triumph Motorbikes here in the UK, who, if you know anything about bikes, are a really iconic brand. And we managed to get a call with their kind of marketing team, pitched out the, the whole idea. And they were like, right, amazing. So how long have you guys been riding? Uh, and by this point, we hadn't even started our lessons. And it was like, uh, we, haven't, we haven't got our licenses. And there was like this long pause. And they're like, right, so why the hell are you, why the hell are you contacting us? But the whole idea was to show that you can learn quickly, go on a steep learning curve, and then go do an amazing adventure. So ride from London all the way to the Sahara Desert and back the day after passing our test. Uh, and they took a big risk on us because it was a big risk. Uh, gave us two of these massive adventure bikes called Tiger 800s. And these bikes are kind of reserved stereotypically for kind of the middle-aged rider who's been riding their whole life uh, and it doesn't really appeal to a younger audience so we were basically um, the vehicle to try and show that these bikes are accessible to novices or younger people uh, and that was kind of the idea yeah and I think so we, we ended up passing our test uh, and doing it in that week, which is amazing. And then the bikes got delivered, uh, which was interesting itself. But the first thing I thought, and I don't know if you were the same, was actually how much better those bikes were and how much easier, although they're twice the size, to drive than the ones that we actually did our test on. Yeah, they were they were luxury, weren't they? But yeah. the, the one thing we noticed immediately, uh, if anyone will know us, we're, neither of us are particularly, uh, particularly tall, uh, yeah, was big. how big they were. Yeah, they're like, absolutely massive. It's like tiptoes um, on the seat, and they weigh an absolute ton. Yeah, and that was what was scary about them. And I mean, we we got <laughs> delivered the bikes, and the bloke who delivered them was like, "Right, you need to go fill them up with petrol. They're empty." So we're like, "Okay, cool." Drove it to a petrol station about a hundred yards away, and I pulled in behind James. He was in front of me. Pulled up to the pump. And I just watched him, his feet desperately searching for the floor, and he basically just fell off this bike. This bike clatters onto the, the onto the concrete. Like first twenty seconds of being on the bike, I'm too scared to get off it in case I drop it. So you're like on your ass. Oh, it was absolutely classic. I put the kickstand out on the left, and then the whole bike fell to the right. It's like here we go. So it's like oh shit. Yeah, put, put your leg out to try and stop it. I thought it was going to snap my leg in half. Could barely pick the thing up. It was like a deadlift to try and get the <laughs> fucking thing back standing. So that was a hell of a start. 
We're there in full triumph gear, brand new. Looked like absolute fat middle-aged recruiters. <laughs> it was pathetic. I've dropped this bike. We've got these open-faced helmets on. Oh, we've got the hippest helmets you can <laughs> the, buy. The hipster helmets, the anti-hipster garments, with a bike lying horizontal on the floor of the Shell petrol station. <laughs> God, it was a baptism of fire straight in. And then we had to ride from St Albans down to Putney so you could pack your yeah, stuff yeah. and then on from there to catch the ferry from Portsmouth and we were staying in a little shitty hostel in Portsmouth that shut at like 11 o'clock at night um, so when we arrived in Putney at like 8 o'clock we decided we could chill out oh there was a, there was a new curry house that opened yeah. so we thought we'd dive in there really you know like have a chat we tucked the curry in spent it up well we in there for about two hours and then had to absolutely crush it down the A3 Gosh. all the way to Portsmouth your like engine light came on yeah shat yourself which is very scary <laughs> it was carnage and suddenly it was middle of the night riding down the A3 we'd only ever been over 60 miles an hour twice um, and it was suddenly like wow this is actually pretty intimidating um, and that was kind of the start we arrived in Portsmouth anyway uh, with like a minute to spare I dropped my bike pulling up to the hostel <laughs> uh, got onto the ferry and we were away so we got the ferry from Portsmouth 24 hours straight down to Bilbao we were originally looking at going through France but spoke to a few people and they were like France is absolutely shit to bike through if you're trying to do it quickly anyway so it's one motorway the whole way so we are like right sack that off get down to Spain where it's nice and warm uh, and the riding is phenomenal. And we ride to Bilbao and it was insane. Oh, straight away, it was what we'd bargained for. Because it was still freezing, it's just February. So even driving to Portsmouth, it's absolutely freezing, dark. And then we arrive a day later into Bilbao and it's glorious sunshine. We've got like a two-hour ride just to a place called Le Grogno. Uh, and it was like that was just champagne bike riding off the bat and it was like this is why we're doing it and this is like what we're trying to show is that it's relatively easy well, you know once you pass your test the like, fun that can be had on a motorbike is like incredible and we were experiencing that like 24 hours after passing our test pretty much and that was the whole thing that we were trying to show it so that was that was amazing to do that and I can't remember what that mountain range was just before the city or the town. It's called like Cassiera de Leon. Yeah, and we'd just been riding up this hill and then we just crested the mountain and we're kind of overlooking the whole region of Rioja and kind of jumped off our bikes quickly and it was kind of summed up in day one like why we were doing the whole thing. The sights we were seeing was absolutely incredible. And, I mean, we went via that place we probably would have gone via there anyway but I guess you've got a special link there yeah yeah so my girlfriend's family are from Rioja um, she's from a wine family and we hip hip uh, <laughs> uh, so we went and spent time with her granddad on his uh, winery um, the Luis Alegre winery check it out and check it out discount code is the 10% <laughs> I'm joking no it makes it more expensive yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so we went for a little wine tasting so just to put black and white this wasn't like an adventure where it's like oh my god it's really hard no, it's it, was, it was lovely yeah we, we took time we had a wine tasting uh, good caveat we did the wine tasting one evening yeah we, 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 we did, parked the yeah, bikes we, did, we didn't get boozed up and then, and then carry on <laughs> um, but it was amazing uh, and we basically wanted to take in Spain in a totally new way we've both been there a load of times um, and I think People just think, oh, do you know what, rather than ride a bike, I'll just ride, uh, drive a car. And the biggest difference that we immediately noticed is 
riding a bike A is actually it's, it's incredibly tiring because you have to focus every single second because when you're hitting 80 miles an hour and you, you sometimes get that realisation when you get a big gust of wind or a car on the motorway will start veering across a lane um, and you are literally unprotected you are sat on essentially a push bike with a, with a huge engine on it um, so you're you're constantly attentive yeah you feel very susceptible don't you yeah everything and, and then because of that you're also taking in your surroundings far more and, and you're feeling the road wow feeling the road oh shit for the ride baby yeah. hashtag for the ride baby <laughs> wow that was good Okay, I like it. Whereas in a car, you know, you've got a podcast on, like this podcast, and you're just you're just really into the podcast. So you're not really taking anything in, uh, and that's kind of what we notice first and foremost about the difference between riding a bike and driving a car. Yeah, I think especially it might be even more so because we were brand new to it. I imagine if you ride a lot or you're years down the road, excuse the pun, you you're not as concentrating on that stuff and it becomes a bit more natural but because we were brand new to it we were so dialed in the whole time you're trying to think about everything you have to do as a bike rider but also trying to anticipate all the other cars and you, you never had that feeling I know I get it a lot when I'm driving my car where like a couple of junctions on the motorway will just pass and the, the, you won't know where the time's gone I don't think I had that once on the bike it was like you said full concentration full noise the whole time and it it actually meant, I mean, it was it was an easy adventure, but we were getting to the our destinations and our planned times. Oh, absolutely shocked. Yeah, absolutely knackered. And we actually ended up being a bit behind schedule because we were planning on doing six-hour rides at one point. Um, and it just, it just wasn't possible for us. I think that probably mixed with the bikes being probably a little bit too big. I was in a slightly leaning forward position, so crick in the neck, which... Uh, <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. I wasn't going to moan about, but... Are you moaning about your... Your kind of welfare on the bike because it was about halfway when we parked the bikes up and we were filming a bit of content around them for Triumph, talking through the bikes. And uh, so I filmed mine, I was like, I've got the Tiger XR, whatever. Uh, my bike was a tiny bit taller than James's because um, I'm like 6'2. Uh, and, that is uh, a tiny bit taller yeah, than 6'1, so to be fair. So I, so I talked through my bike and then James went through his and he's like, yeah, and here's the, um, here's the button for the heated seat. And, uh, button for the heated handlebars and I was like what do you want that he's like what do you mean have you not got them motherfucker they gave you a bike with a heated that is the and they gave you a handlebar it's the best thing about it is later on in the journey it's actually freezing cold and uh, Tommy didn't have any gloves on already uh, hand warmers and uh, we pulled over it was like dumb and dumber it was like oh mate you can probably borrow these gloves to be fair I'm actually sweating I've got uh, the heat the handlebar warmers on and these thick gloves he's like you fucking serious? My fingers are like blue. It's absolutely I'm brilliant. panicking that I can't feel my hands because I'm just going to crash the bike. Absolutely brilliant. Um, but yeah, so we did a, a good evening. We really sampled. Uh, is it called Le Grognon? Le Grognon. Le Grognon. Si. Sorry. Um, so Le Grognon is like a capital of Rioja. Right, okay. And we, we hit the high street. Is that what we're calling it? It's called uh, Calle Laurel. Okay, cool. And it's like a plate, loads of little bars, yeah, tapas, tapas bars, bars incredible. sample them, lots of half pints, lots of different food. It was brilliant. Woke up the next morning, a little bit dusty, um, kind of learned our lesson that it's not a good idea to drink and then the next morning go. Where did we stay? We stayed at that, uh, the apartment. Yeah. So Manny's grandparents got an apartment in town, but they live out in kind of the countryside. 
Um, and they were like, yeah, you can stay there. It's like, amazing, fine. Right? Nice apartment, right in the middle of the town, really convenient. They're like, you need to um, get the keys off our neighbours, who are, let's call them Fernando and Isabella. Uh, <laughs> not, not their name. <laughs> Two very curious. Spanish names. Um, and this was an 85-year-old bloke who obviously didn't speak a word of English. No. Hell of a smile on him. Oh, yeah. Like, he was like, blah, 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 blah. and this is like, si. Poco de queso y That's all I've got in my locker. It's like ham cheese sandwich. That's all you get. <laughs> anyway, we managed to communicate by shouting in English and pointing. Yeah. Um, As per. Yeah. And the Grande was, yeah, it was amazing. Ate all the food, drank all the wine, then left the next day. And I think that was a big stint, wasn't it? We were trying to get from the north of Spain down to the south coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we went through the Zaragoza region, which was still, I think, one of the most beautiful kind of scenic routes I've ever been on in my entire life. It Same was here. unbelievable. There are towns that just look like they were from, like Lord of the Rings or yeah, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones wasn't it? There's not medieval towns. Oh, it was epic. Absolutely epic. We actually got, that was our first experience getting stuck in like high wind on the bikes as well. Yeah, that's quite scary. So, and we had never experienced, didn't really know the, the technique for it. And I think we actually ended up putting it on our Twitter and got like hundreds yeah. of answers. Which yeah, was really yeah. It was a bit late by that point, but we were like fully gripped, kind of leaning into the wind, going sideways. Uh, and then the wind would drop and then obviously a bike would just take and we'd veer off straight into traffic. It was super scary, probably not helped at all by being hung over. But it was, uh, yeah, that, that was pretty scary. I remember that. We ended up staying in this very random place. Obviously, didn't make it down to southern Spain that day. Stayed in a random place. And the next day, just kind of set our eyes on Valencia, I think it was. We headed to Valencia. And then originally, we were going to get the ferry over to Morocco from Gibraltar. Yeah. But as you said earlier, we completely overestimated um, our travel, our kind of distance. Um, we thought we were going to be doing six, 700 miles. It was more like 200 um, so we diverted to a place called Almeria yeah. and got a ferry from there. What a dog. Oh, man, Almeria was a shithole, wasn't it? Yeah, it was awful. And we got that ferry. It was like 1, 1 a.m. ferry. Got on it and it was full of like Moroccans with loads of kind of like... They're obviously bringing stuff in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just full of guns. Uh, and they were bringing stuff in to sell at the markets and then taking it back home, all that kind of stuff. And we were on this on this rickety ferry, made it over to uh, a place called Nador, I think. And that was carnage. Yeah. So we had to go through Moroccan customs to get into the country. And not through the place where most people cross into Morocco. Yeah, everyone goes into, where is it, Tangier? Uh, Tangier? Yeah, I think it is. So we were the only tourists on this entire ferry. Everyone was local. And we got to this port uh, and we had these brand new, spanking, really expensive Triumph motorbikes with dripping in new gear. <laughs> and we're suddenly at this, um, this border crossing and it was... Chaos, wasn't oh, it? Like, must have been 10,000 people trying to go through two lanes. They're all carrying like so much shit on their head yeah. and trolleys. There's donkeys, there's goats. Yeah. yeah, we're there. And it's like, oh my god. And we, we weren't moving an inch for like an hour. We didn't move. We just had these lads coming up to us offering to fast track us through security. Like, and eventually, after not going anywhere and it just being carnage, we caved to this bloke didn't we well he was it was weird wasn't it and looking back like you're always so negative and I think it's just 
ingrained in us to be like a little bit on guard in those situations because yeah. there was people coming up and asking us for money and they were begging and like you feel like such a dick because you're on this yeah this really expensive bike with all this gear and you just feel a little bit a bit bad essentially and, and we're cashless we're card only kind yeah of we're absolutely contactless <laughs> only we're, we're nouveau bankers so we're kind of there like, oh, sorry, we haven't got anything, but we're surrounded by people. And then there's 10 blokes shouting at us like, I fast track you for 10 quid and yeah. give me your passport. And we're like, mate, we're not giving you our passport. Don't be nuts. Yeah. And then 20 minutes later, we're like, here's our passport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get us out of here. Yeah, here's the passport. It was weird. We were, we were trying to make progress, walk into the passport office, trying to speak to policemen of like how do we make any sort of, sort of forward progress here everyone was ignoring us like basically we were I think it was just a waiting game as soon as we gave our passports and uh, 10 quids worth to this guy we were fast tracked yeah, straight true. through the police waved us straight through passport but like he, he was filling in our documents for us spelt our names wrong oh, yeah. dates wrong yeah. straight Jimmy through didn't <laughs> Jimmy Woods <laughs> it was it was bizarre and, we straight, and then we had to go to the get this legitimate insurance yeah bullshit. that meant that we could then ride our bike and be covered and insurance the insurance office was like this one bloke in this shed who just signed this paper took about 500 quid from us I think he went must have gone massive that night and then he's like right you're insured it's like yeah. No, no paperwork he's like oh no 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 paperwork yeah yeah it was it's the wild west full cowboy 100% but oh, yeah, we were in. We were in, yeah. And we spent the next hour and a half dodging cats, goats and cows on the non-existent roads of Nador. And then all of a sudden, popped out into the desert of Morocco. That first day we had about an eight-hour drive ahead of us. Yeah. Nothing in between, in between. But this was like the scene from the films where there's just desert and this one strip of tarmac going through it. And to be fair, it was perfectly paved. Oh, the roads were so smooth. We were just like, and it was obviously red hot down there. We were just carving through there some pace. Yeah, t-shirt, jeans, um, just just couldn't stop smiling. Protective jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No gloves though. I've got, got a load of heat on Twitter for that, didn't I? Yeah. Load of motorbike noises were like, why is me wearing protective gloves? Yeah, that was like, oh, Dave. <laughs> that was Paul. Poor off. Why have I got gloves on, James? Yeah, that, that was the thing is, because we were, we were new to it, we were just trying to be like, comfortable and probably look cool and and we were doing videos for Triumph who the whole point of it was to try and appeal to this new audience or show that it doesn't have to be the traditional sense how everyone sees it and this video went up or a couple of pictures and the uh, I think the traditional Triumph fans or whatever we just got ripped into for either wearing an open face helmet or not wearing (laughs) gloves or not having standard like signed off boots all this sort of shit and it was like that's the kind of barrier to most people riding bikes so that's kind of the point that we were doing it but it was I just remember that being pretty funny well, and we, we set up the tripod didn't we no I got off and took a photo a couple of photos of you riding around a corner with a nice view um, <laughs> and we, we looked back at the photos and realised that you actually just looked like 
a 40-year-old fat bloke. I was the middle-aged man. <laughs> I was the middle-aged man. Because you're in your full protective gear and it's like, right, we can't wear that anymore, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm going to have to get some sort of skinny jean on yeah. and a t-shirt <laughs> because at the moment I just look like everyone else on the bike, <laughs> uh, which was classic. Ended up, anyway, after that full day, arriving into a little town, not a town, little village called Medelt. Stands out for me because I had the hero's welcome. I was I was Mr. Medelt within five minutes of arriving. So we basically we and my servant Tommy <laughs> was in the background. We took a tent with us, and I'll be totally honest with you, we didn't camp <laughs> once. Um, Morocco, like the accommodation is really really cheap. Um, we we had <laughs> we had grand plans of camping on the side of the road, we didn't even long way down style. We didn't even look at the tent. It was no. just like no, not doing it. Um, so every night we go on booking and just find like a deal and we <laughs> and we're absolutely pantsful <laughs> down yeah. I mean I say deal it was still quite expensive but we rocked into this town called Medel that was basically the last stop before our destination and we'll talk about our destination in a minute but we booked this hotel and it was quite a boutique bougie little hotel in this tiny little village and we got there and it was really nice it was like perfect because we were absolutely knackered and the owner of this hotel was this absolute legend. Well, I say he's a legend. I didn't really like him. <laughs> he was a legend. For some reason, just like, idolised James. And he arrived and he'd be like, Mr. Ah, Mr. James, Mr. James. And so I'm there like, hi, man, I'm Tom. He's like, eh, yeah, it's whatever. Like, Mr. James, come this way. And I'm like carrying the bag. And this bloke just wouldn't talk to me. Like, I was like... The, the servant it was strange and I, you were my master I think the only reason I can think of is because the booking was under my name yeah but that's unfair isn't it? <laughs> so join your yeah, account totally. I'll pay him away totally and he just wouldn't talk to me and then like we come down for dinner that was amazing we were the only people in there only we? people in this hotel and like he was so attentive like we found this out about the locals in Morocco their hospitality is next level and he was like guys like, sit down for dinner we had like, an amazing tagine like he pulled out all the stops we were stuffed and he was like at the end he was like oh, Mr. He did not, oh, yeah, he wasn't speaking to me here Mr. James would you like dessert and we were like oh mate we're really really full and he's like oh, go on go on have some we were like okay we'll have some <laughs> he turned around he was like like screamed at this little waiter and he was like they were having this argument and basically this waiter then ran out like we heard a car start and he like burnt away 15 minutes later he comes running back in he's basically gone out and bought us this yeah <laughs> Classic. He's like, um, mate, we haven't got any desserts. He's like, go and fucking get some then. <laughs> get some waiting. Absolutely stuff with Anyway, absolutely brilliant. Um, so yeah, that was a hell of an experience. Love Medell. We we'll go back there in a heartbeat. Never again. Um, and then we had the final day driving to the edge of the Sahara, where the road turned to uh, sand, essentially. Yeah, and we were going. Uh, so basically, the whole kind of idea uh, came from the fact that we were invited to a music festival. No, no, yeah, like a festival in the desert. Um, we were invited to be doing a little talk there so we basically made this around getting there in a really cool way yeah so that was kind of our destination and that was kind of into the desert we we rode the bikes and through down to Mazuga, which is kind of the last town before the Sahara kind of really uh, takes control and I just remember like driving through these dunes on the road and it, it was such an unbelievable experience um, and we arrived at this festival and 
yeah, we spent a couple of days there. I think we were super looking forward to it, but actually we kind of missed being on the bikes. That was kind of yeah. what made this adventure, not the kind of piss up at the end. Um, so we spent a couple of days at this festival uh, and then basically turned around and, and, and rode back. Um, we'd ridden 1,500 miles down. Now we span around and then we went up the other side of Spain through kind of Seville. Yeah, that was and that was amazing as well. I think one of my main things was just actually how amazing Spain was. I, and I know you said it earlier, but I was like totally blown away there. And it's kind of jumped to the top of my list now. We came back, yeah, we came back the traditional way. So Gibraltar, which was just far more, I guess, touristy and was just the trodden path. So then we went up to Seville and what was the next one? Salamanca. Yeah. Uh, and eventually to get the ferry back from Santander. Um Without one one final stop, I think the night before our last stop in Santander, we were just having a look at that area if there was any anywhere we should head to in particular. And um, at the time, there was a restaurant there called Azamendi, which was I think number twenty on the uh, top restaurants in the world. Um, and we're pretty big foodies, love love eating and like we said in the last couple of episodes we'll we'll try and celebrate uh, a finished adventure in a proper way and this was I think the the best way for us to do that Uh, it wasn't cheap (laughs) it it certainly wasn't cheap and well I think we realised it wasn't cheap when we went to fill up our bikes in the UK and our car got declined yeah and we suddenly actually looked at how much that trip would cost us uh, and it was way, 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 way more than we thought. And yeah. I think the, the tent was actually there for a good reason. I don't know why we didn't use it. No. And um, I mean, what was the total time? Two weeks, maybe? Just under? Yeah. Yeah, it was about that. And my God, did it rack up. Whether it was hotels, which in Morocco were quite cheap, but Spain were kind of as you'd expect. Not even hotels most of the time. Just little campsites. Obviously, the the actual rooms, uh, like places to stay and fuel wrapped up, the insurance in Morocco. Um, we did like a carne and stuff and it ended up being very expensive. Um, but I think you, you can do it. One of the questions we actually got on Instagram before this episode was, was how much should I save to do this trip? And you can definitely, definitely do it much cheaper. Yeah. Um, for example, if you use that tent, you're saving yourself quite a lot of money. And um, we just didn't do it in the most cost-effective way. That festival as well, when we got there, was about 80 quid for a beer, which yeah. was fun. I mean, it was... Yeah, we, we made it expensive, you're right. It could be done very cost-efficiently. Yeah. Um, and, 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 yeah, we... We also had deliverables and things that we had to send in terms of contents. We needed internet connection and charging, which obviously you don't get if you sleep roadside. Um, but just for the experience, a lot of our favourite moments came from the roads, and you could 100% get that experience without having to spend a fortune at all. So I'd fully, fully recommend that. Uh, Azamendi was an absolute blowout of yeah, all blowouts. It was about a 20-course taster menu um, that I'd recognise, recommend any one go to um, if you're in the middle of nowhere near Bilbao you can absolutely go for it um, and I think before we get on to the, the, the questions that we've been asked one of the overwhelming things that I think I'd experienced and I know you have done too was just how comfortable we felt on the bikes by this point yeah so we'd done 10, 11, 12 days of riding, whatever it was, which in the grand scheme of things doesn't seem like a lot. But when you're covering 
thousands and thousands of miles, it just became totally natural to us. And we'd learned what would take people years to feel that comfortable on a bike. We'd learned it in 10 days. And that was ultimately what we were trying to accomplish with the whole trip. And I think when we arrived in Portsmouth, we were back and it was raining and it was dark. There was no fear about getting home or the next three hours on the bike because we were just used to that. Whereas at the beginning, just getting on the bike and dropping the bike at the petrol station, that was all a big deal. And now we just felt totally at home on it, which was really cool. There's so much to be said for, and we always kind of revert back to this kind of way of thinking of just, just going for it and being totally uncomfortable for a short period of time, but gaining months or even kind of years worth of experience in a matter of weeks yeah and as you said earlier a lot of people will learn and obviously it depends on if you've got time off and when you can do it but if you're doing a lesson a week for two months it kind of drags out you end up maybe resenting it a bit whereas if you just go for it back yourself you're probably gonna get on the bike for the first time pretty unprepared but at the end of the day it's just a motorbike you're gonna figure it out and the learning curve that we went through, we, when we were pulling into Portsmouth, we were shitting ourselves when we stopped at every, every roundabout yeah. because we were worried about stalling the bike. When we got back, we'd ridden through gravel roads on the sand and we were absolutely flying. And that's purely just because we just went for it and decided, you know what, like we'll, we'll just we'll just see what happens. We'll learn along the way and, and it completely pays dividends. And uh, a few people since have got in touch and they're, they're doing similar things and uh, if you've ever liked the look of riding a bike because it just looks fun, take it from us. It is incredible. Oh, and yeah. We were lucky for the last year to have a couple of bikes in Triumph um, and even like around London that it's just the most amazing way to get round. Um, so I would yeah, highly recommend if you've ever had that inkling of what would that be like, get yourself past, get a bike, pick one up for really cheap. Uh, and just go for it because it is absolutely unbelievable experience. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Do wear a full face helmet. Do a full face helmet. I think, yeah, on on that, we'll go to um, some questions that we had asked. So, yeah, the first one was obviously about the trip cost, which I think we've answered now. Uh, Second question was, were we nervous? What do you reckon? Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, pulling away from London definitely felt pretty sketched out on the bike didn't feel very comfortable yeah yeah I mean when you you suddenly have that realisation when you're a novice when you're going at 70 miles an hour it's like what if I get a blowout or what if (laughs) what if I suddenly just turn the wheel and I flip and (laughs) what if I get a blowjob yeah what I don't be nervous about that (laughs) (laughs) should be thrilled absolutely thrilled Jesus Um, yeah but I think like we say with everything everything big that we've done we've been nervous for and they always have ended up being the best things we've done and we kind of use that now as if if we're not nervous about it before we do it is it kind of big enough or are we going to feel a a big enough sense of satisfaction once doing it and biking definitely had that we were nervous for the test we were nervous for leaving nervous about getting to the Sahara and they're all just a part of it and it was actually amazing in the end Um, so yeah we definitely were nervous Uh, another one we got was what was the scariest moment of the trip uh, maybe going to Bilbao to the uh, to Santander on the way back. What was that? Remember, there was this lorry coming oh, the other shit. way. Yeah. So actually, my my visor on my helmet because they were like snap-on visors, and obviously you look over your shoulder every time you're changing lanes. I looked over my shoulder, and a gust of wind had obviously come up 
some sort of draft somewhere and it just ripped the visor off my helmet and I just remember seeing it in my rear in like the side mirror got ran over by a truck straight away absolutely threw me because we were doing like 70 at this point and then I've got no coverage on my eyes my eyes are watering up mad uh, that was like that was pretty scary but obviously fine I just put my sunglasses on and was fine with it and then about 10 minutes later we were going around this kind of mountain road like well over our side of the road yeah yeah and this huge lorry had obviously maybe taken it a bit fast, but had cut the corner. Oh my God, that was so, 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 so close. We, we wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. No, if it hit us, we would have died. One million percent. But it, that was like, that would have been just, I mean, obviously road accidents happen all the time. and But that would have been a perfect example of us not being at fault whatsoever. But paying the price for it. Yeah, and that's where you feel vulnerable on a bike. Yeah, that was scarish. Compared to a a lorry, obviously, you're absolutely nothing. So that was, I think, the scariest moment. But that happens with everything. Totally. You can't prepare. You get that crossing the road, don't you? And then similarly, we've got another question, which is, what was the most memorable moment? Um, And that was actually, it didn't actually have anything to do with the riding. Some of the riding bits were incredible, but there was one moment that stands out that we always talk about. And I said earlier about the Moroccan hospitality. And we had basically um, set off back up through Morocco. It was kind of our first day heading back north home. And we stopped at this tiny little cafe that was overlooking this town that was like a, it was like an oasis. It was this valley full of palm trees and what it was, it was genuinely like something from a movie it was unbelievable and we pulled in uh, to get some lunch and we we went to the uh till to order and obviously he was like oh we don't take card we we're such morons yeah that's so stupid like we're like oh we don't take cards like, of course we're in the middle of the desert you don't take bonds yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh bitcoin <laughs> what do you mean i can't pay with crypto and uh, he was like yeah sorry no card and it was like shit like we had no water, uh, no food, and we basically had a full day of riding ahead. Uh, so we walked out. We're like, okay, no worries. And we were walking back to the bikes, and this bloke, I remember his name, Abdul, yeah. ran back out, and he was like, guys, 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 come in, come in. I'll sort something out. And this guy, who was the owner of this tiny little cafe, which, I mean, must get 10 customers a day tops, gave us a three-course meal, like a can of Coke, water, for absolute gratis, um, which we kind of sat there and it was like we're there kind of maybe like moaning about how tired we are on the bikes or whatever and this guy is just spotting us a three course meal um, when we've got two 10 grand motorbikes sat on the drive outside and we, we've been stupid enough not to bring cash and it's moments like that where you're like that is absolutely miraculous like how nice that, could, that yeah. can be I'll tell you what I think we should because we looked into it at a Afterwards, and it was the guys in the middle of nowhere. I, couldn't, yeah, I, couldn't I think we, I think we revisited. We're going to do our utmost to pay that guy back. I don't know how. It, literally trying to find the bloke. Yeah, it's I'm it's, like, it's I googled it's, Abdul Morocco. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like thousands of them on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, so we will do our best. If anyone knows a way to, I mean, it's a very. If big anyone thing. knows Abdul from Morocco, <laughs> <laughs> yes, though, we'll chuck in the thirteen pound fifty that we owe. Um, but we will hopefully update after. I mean, we'll probably send money to Morocco and uh, yeah, I mean, it will land somewhere. Setting us up for a fall. Yeah, we'll just say we did. Um, and then the, another question we got was, did, "Who's this? I don't know who this is. A little, little weasel. Did you look good in those helmets?" Uh, 
Oh, I know who this is from. It's John, isn't it? John. John. Sp- speaking of helmets. Yeah, yeah. It's funny he's mentioned a helmet. Anyway. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we look good. We look fantastic. Yeah, you're a helmet. <laughs> you, you, you don't need any photographic evidence. Uh, and then, final question. Uh, where is Where do you see the Tempest 2 in 10 years? And I know who this question is from. Right. Because uh, they text it to me. But they said specifically, make sure you give me a shout out. So because of that, because you're trying to ride the waves as our, of our huge influence, I'm going to remain anonymous on this one. Ooh. But it's a good question, so we'll keep it in. Where is the Tempest 2 in 10 years? Is it Fran? <laughs> no, it's not my mum. your mum, damn no, it. No. Okay. She's blocked from any more. We've spoken about her too much. She's getting too much airtime. Fair enough. Uh, Tempest 2 in 10 years Malibu probably yeah <laughs> retired <Yeah>. Malibu <laughs> global so we'll be or you'll be oof, you'll be 40 fuck off man <laughs> I'll be 39 yeah, so uh, clinging on yeah you'll be 40 10 years oh probably global superstars yeah maybe like rock stars or musicians yeah drug addicts drug addicts yeah okay um, seems a bit extreme yeah I mean, everyone's a drug addict, really, aren't they? <laughs> the drug of life. The drug of culture. The drug of adventure. Am I right? Hey, you to get my fix, baby. Um, <laughs> but no, that's a very good point, and I don't know. hard to answer on a podcast I off the know. bat. 40, we can't keep doing this shit, 40, can we? have families, probably, don't we? Whoa. I mean, yeah, by 40. <laughs> 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 Mr. Denial. Like a Peter Pan over it. Oh, don't write me off the bus yet, boy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Great question. Good question, but also a bit of a stupid question because it's hard to answer. We will um, not get back to you on that one, but hopefully still doing cool, fun stuff. We'll, we will bring that up in 10 years' time on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, episode 4,000. Actually, two four-year-old fat lads doing a podcast, oh. still talking about the row. <laughs> so, and we're going to go back to the row where it all began. It's like, fuck off! <laughs> so, no, no, you need to hear it. There's more. We didn't tell you about the flip. Like, the wave just keeps getting bigger. <laughs> um, right, okay, so that was the motorbike trip to Sahara. I mean, I feel like we could talk about that for age. I think we've probably bored everyone if you're still listening. Fair play to you. But this was February 2017. We got back late February uh, with full licenses and we were eyeing up what to do next. And what eventually ended up being maybe one of our definitely physically our most demanding challenge I think the hardest thing we've ever done yeah, yeah. and um, and it was absolutely savage so in, in the next episode or two or three I think probably three episodes we'll, we'll go into talk about our world first kind of self-created ultra adventure triathlon through Patagonia um, a giant bike ride a giant run and a massive stand-up paddleboard Um starting in which was October 2017 yeah yeah but that's there's tons of stories from that it was mental yeah it was stupid really um, but again thank you for listening thank you for tuning back in we will we will do five minutes of questions after every single episode so do just fire us any questions um, if you want to know anything about Patagonia uh, if you want to know anything about the business or just adventure in general or just you know just ask us any kind of question <laughs> a few personal yeah, questions if it's a shit question we will call you out on it though um, so do think about it um, but yeah, we're going to end on a note from our sponsor this week, which is The Tempest 2. Uh, <laughs> great speakers. Check it out. <laughs> TheTempest2.com. 
couple of legends. So thank you for sponsoring it, guys. Um, and we will speak to you next week with some amazing tales from Patagonia. Have a good one. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.